0: podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at org. Good afternoon, listeners. My name is Erin Jones, and I'm pleased to be the host of the Beyond Zero Emissions show today. Um, it's great to be back. I've been Overseas, predominantly to go to the fully charged live show at Silverstone in the United Kingdom. And that was, um, back, uh, sort of in mid-June. And it was a three-day event which focused on electric vehicles predominantly, but also renewable technology and, and home, home technology type products to become You make your home more sustainable. But we're going to focus mostly on the electric vehicle side of things. Um, Today I've got a number of guests on the show where we're going to get a little bit of a taste of the Australian perspective of where things are up to. And um, But I look forward to next week also bringing you some um, a bit of a flavour of that event with some recordings there and uh, some interviews that I've done With, amongst other people, uh, a Formula E driver, which is the alternative to Formula One and um, certainly makes a lot more sense um, from a lot of perspectives. But um, with the uh, ever and ever increase of electric vehicles, it doesn't make a lot of sense to... um, have Formula One running around because uh, we don't really need more advances in technology in terms of internal combustion engines. We need to be focusing on electric vehicles. So I'm... Um Really pleased to be talking about that today and getting a bit of an Australian perspective on where things are up to. Um, So we'll get on to those guests in a minute. But for those of you that do tune into the show regularly will know that I had Robert Llewellyn, who is the founder of the Fully Charged YouTube channel, um, on the show earlier this year when he was in Australia. That show is going from strength to strength and they're up over half a million subscribers now and are really, um, are really the go-to organization for manufacturers, um, to test drive all the new cars that are coming to market and there are more and more and from 2020 there's, um, legislation that comes into Europe and, uh, some of the other northern hemisphere markets, particularly around pollution standards and there's some quite hefty fines that come in, in line with those as well. So you'll actually see that there are an absolute influx of new electric vehicles coming onto the European market. Now, that's not necessarily a wonderful thing for us because as a smaller market, we tend to be probably a bit of an afterthought to lots of the manufacturers. Um, but those improvements elsewhere will eventually filter down into our market um and so we'll, we'll have a look at that but there were a number of really interesting panels um and those discussions are available on the fully charged uh YouTube channel i think actually on this they've started a secondary channel called fully charged regen and so pretty much all of those um Panel discussions that were had over those three days are going up there, so I would encourage you to uh, take advantage of that and have a bit of a listen to um, some of those discussions. Um, they have a whole cover a whole gamut of um, different topics, um, not just around EVs, but around a lot of the supporting technology that goes with them, what a lot of local governments have done to um, support that. Uh, so, yeah, real hive of information, a lot of stuff around uh, retrofitting existing vehicles, which is a really important thing because not only do we want new models coming to market, but we've also, you know, when we look at... Um, you know, the whole concept of, of using less and, and recycling and, uh, we've, we've already got all these vehicles that have had the, uh, manufacturing, um, carbon footprint to get them, them, uh, e- into existence. So retrofitting them with electric technology actually makes a lot of sense. And so there was quite a bit of information around that and some, uh, a lot of vehicles on display that were classic vehicles that have been retrofitted to, um, electric drive trains and, and everything else so that that was really interesting as well but look we better get on with today's show um as i said uh, it was a great event and um hopefully maybe they can do one in australia sometimes Going from that we're going to have a bit of a chat to Tim Washington first of all and Tim amongst other things is the chair of the EV Council so we're going to get a bit of a perspective on where things are up to in Australia. Listeners, as you're aware, we're we're focusing um, on today's show and also next week's show, um, particularly around EVs, and that's kind of in light of my recent trip to the UK, where I attended the Fully Charged Live show, which uh, was a three-day conference where we had all the major manufacturers there doing test drives and displays and also a number of of panel discussions. um, And you know, it, it's pretty easy to say that um, the UK and Europe and, and pretty much a lot of places in the world, unfortunately, um, are well ahead of where Australia is. So I kind of want to explore that in the, over the next couple of weeks and, and look at um, some of the barriers to EV adoption um, and some of the things where Australia certainly from a government um, perspective could could step up and, and take a lot of more initiative. But, in line with that, I'm really pleased to have on the line Tim Washington. And Tim is the chair of the EV Council, which is the industry body in Australia, and is also the CEO of Jet Charge, which is one of the um, charging companies. So, Tim, welcome, and um, great to have you on the line. Good to be with you. So, I just mentioned you've kind of got, got two hats. Um, do you want to just kind of first of all tell us about the EV Council and what the main mission and who it is that's represented by that group?
1: Yeah, sure. So the EV Council is the main industry group that represents the entire ecosystem of electric vehicles in Australia. So, you know, we have automotive bodies, we have bodies that cover electrical, we have bodies that cover property, but um, as you would be aware, electric vehicles are a lot more than all of those things. They're a combination of all of those things. So um, we saw there to be a need to bring all of those um, industries together under the one body um, and represent us as an industry in conversations with um, government, with other industry bodies and with consumers and organisations. So we go out there and we promote um, policies that encourage electric vehicle uptake and also talk about um, electric vehicle charging and the implications of that and the design and policies around those things.
0: Yeah, great. And and certainly um, one of the things that... um, Certainly being discussed quite widely in Europe was the fact that, um, A, there are so many more models coming to market, um, and a lot of that is being pushed by some legislation that comes in, in, um, 2020 around, uh, t- much, much tighter pollution controls and really quite significant fines for manufacturers that don't comply with those. So that impetus is kind of going to bring a lot more, um, markets sorry, models to market. Um, What's the flow on that you see from that?
1: Well, I think um, to take a step back, um, since we lost our local manufacturing for vehicles, we really are dictated to by the overseas market in terms of what vehicles we receive. And so if the large automakers from around the world um, are serving these markets with strict CO2 emission standards and pollution legislation, and naturally speaking, we will go through a cycle where we will become the country where you know, the last polluting kind of vehicles go, and then eventually we'll be offered to the same um, zero emissions vehicles as well, but in a much longer time frame. And so we can't really dictate uh, what we get. We can only basically take what we're given. Um, and the only way to really combat that is to go, well, what kind of a role do we want to play in? A low transport, low emissions transport future, and is there a way we can get um, updated and cleaner technology sooner?
0: Yeah, and as an industry body, I mean, how do you kind of see tackling that? Because, like you say, at the moment, um, there's no real incentive. Um, what the incentive for manufacturers is to send their most polluting vehicles here because they can.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and that happens already because we're one of the only countries in the OECD without CO2 emission standards. So we already get more polluting vehicles. Um, Our fuel standards are among some of the worst um, in the developed nations. So already the equivalent vehicle pollutes more than um, the equivalent overseas. So that's a concern. Mm. Um, And the other thing is that because we're in pretty much an internationally supply-constrained market for electric vehicles, when a vehicle manufacturer looks at, you know, how many they can produce in a given year and they look at the markets in which they want to supply these vehicles, well, they start naturally with the vehicle, or with the countries where they have to supply these vehicles through legislation, and then countries that um, have incentives so that people can purchase these vehicles, and then followed by countries um, that have, for example, great um, infrastructure for the charging of electric vehicles. And so when you put all of those three main things together, Australia tends to be at the bottom of the list, which is why a lot of the um, Australian divisions of these vehicle manufacturers have to fight pretty hard um, to get the models here in the first place. And then once they do get the models here in the first place, to fight for significant, significant volume of those vehicles. And I guess that's why you kind of hear about long wait lists for cars, right? It's mm. because we aren't able to get the volume here because it's much easier to sell those vehicles in other markets.
0: Yeah, because I mean that is the thing. There there is there is demand, and um, as as cheaper vehicles come to the market, um, which you know we saw um, at this show that the uh, oh gosh, I'm just trying to think. We saw so many vehicles, but it was the I can't remember, Peugeot or Renault. Uh, 208. No, the Zoe was oh, there, the but Peugeot, no, right? the Peugeot, Peugeot. 208. So it was launched at the um, fully charged show. Um, yeah. It was just one more of those lower, um, you know, more affordable, smaller kind of hatchback that is coming to the to the European and and probably North American markets. Um, yeah. That will make it so much more affordable for people to move to EV. Um, but as you say, you know we're kind of going to be the the last cab off the rank to to get those vehicles.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and that's true. That's unfortunately true. Mm. Um, but the good news is that um, there's a lot we can do to change that in a rel- relatively short amount of time. We don't necessarily have to resign ourselves into that position. So with the right government policies, both at you know a federal and a state level, and with the right organisations, for example, committing their fleets to turn Mm. electric and having that certainty of volume in the market will essentially mean that um, we can actually get a lot of volume here quickly but we have to change the way we do a few things. But we're certainly not resigned to last place or anything like that.
0: No, and there was actually quite a bit of discussion about that and about um, you know a lot of markets have given incentives to individuals but there was actually some quite lively debate around the fact that that money would have actually been better spent to incentivise fleet buyers um, because the fact is fleet buyers are doing more miles um, and can bring those volumes in. And um, I'm um, hopefully also getting on the show today um, a follow-up story on the drive electric um, day that happened in New South Wales, which was... Um, supported by the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, looking yep. at fleet buyers um, yes. and getting them to kind of experience EV and and you know there's so much research now when we look at total cost of ownership, which is much more of a, a fleet proposition. Um, EVs stack up today, um, yes, that's right. so uh, you know they actually you know like you say it's that volume coming in and 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 certainly um, you know government and fleet buyers could look at that. And I was having some discussion with one of the major um, leasing companies in the UK, Drive Electric, and they have actually done um, at least one, and I don't know if, how many more, um, but quite a large export out to New Zealand, um, and that the New Zealand government did a sec- because, uh, a second-hand import of electric vehicles to try to boost, um, electric vehicle numbers in New Zealand. Um, so those type of things as well, when, when these cars come off lease, it's sort of a, you know, two, three year period, which is still, you know, highly viable even for, for a fleet or, or individuals, um, you know so, so maybe you know, that, that's an option, looking at kind of um, some second hand models coming in which, which well, Australia doesn't have the same provisions for second hand imports, I suppose as New Zealand does so.
1: No we, I mean we don't have the same legislation obviously as new Zealand. We have a, we have a version um, that's um, basically going to come into play where you can import um, uh, low emissions vehicles that aren't otherwise offered for sale in Australia. Mm. so that parallel import market is going to open up a little bit but what you said about fleets is particularly important not only because of total cost of ownership for fleets today but also because the cars that those fleets purchase in three years time they will become second hand vehicles yes. in the market and that flow on effect is very well documented and it's something that we should really try and support um, for fleets to kind of take that up so that everybody can get them um, as at the end of that lease and you know, fleets actually, they don't actually drive that much, you know. So so a lot of these vehicles coming onto the second-hand market after three years actually have pretty low Ks on them.
2: Mm. And as we know
1: with electric vehicles, you know, the kilometre usage actually isn't all that important because they last for so much longer,
0: you know, not as
1: much wear and tear. So, um, you know, look, New Zealand's also a very good example of um, deeper thinking around how we structure incentives for consumers. And so they're looking at implementing a fee-paid scheme where essentially they tax the more polluting vehicles to pay for subsidies for cleaner vehicles. And we also think that that's probably where um, it needs to hedge if we're going to start talking about incentives for the purchase of electric vehicles, that we think, you know, it needs to be take a bit here and give a little bit over there rather than just um, creating kind of a new incentive structure um, out of the budget. Um, We think there's a role to play for that fee bait scheme here.
0: Yeah, okay, and because that was a pretty recent um, uh, development in New Zealand, so from from the you know putting your industry hat on, um, is that something that you'll take as a policy, you know, and, and try to promote to government, or how, how do you know what how's the um, practicalities of that work?
1: So we need to assess everything for our individual market. Um, so you know, just some, just because something works for New Zealand doesn't necessarily means. It works here in Australia. Mm. Um, we've taken to the government various policy um, policies in the past, um, and because this is quite a recent one that's been proposed by New Zealand government, we're just working through the details here in Australia. Um, it's not something we formally kind of presented to government or anything like that, but it's certainly been the subject of discussion internally, um, and we're looking to put together some numbers so that we can submit to um, the policymakers for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. All right, then, so, I mean, you know, we've had some real success stories in Australia. I mean, you know, the um, Tritium uh, are exporting charges all around the world, it seems. You know, there's actually some some really good work going on in Australia. Um, What are the main barriers? Is it, you know, if there were three key things that could change... Um, what does the EV Council see as being those things that would really help move um, the adoption of EV vehicles along?
1: Um, I think the first is, like we talked about, fleet awareness and fleet commitment. And I think that's something that we're actively trying to promote through things like you know the Drive Day in New South Wales. And so um, fleet commitment we see as absolute key, right? Um, the second is, as we talked about, kind of those financial incentives around the purchase of electric vehicles, so I'm going to list four things because I think there are four things that are quite important. The third is um, targeted rollout of electric vehicle charging infrastructure and support thereof.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what you don't necessarily want to do is to, um, for the government to chip in, to charging infrastructure that you know may have been rolled out anyway. So an example of that would be, for example, um, charging stations at home. You know, if someone's basically purchased an electric vehicle, they're going to install a charging station anyway. It's You know, we're still working through the policy detail, but it's a question of whether you want to subsidise those people from installing a charging station because they were probably going to do it anyway. So we only want to target things that will promote electric vehicle uptake. So things like installing charging stations or fast charging stations in regional areas that may otherwise not have um, a strong business case for putting one there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, you know, um, exploring that. And then the fourth thing really is to encourage local innovation around electric vehicle um, an electric vehicle charging enterprise. So Tritium is a really good example of that. right? So Tritium you know, got support from the Queensland government when they first started and now they're exporting all around the world and they employ hundreds of people.
2: Mm. So
1: what we'd really like to see is um, state as well as federal government support local industry in this new space, what we would call the new automotive market so whether that be electric vehicle technologies, whether that be charging or software or telematics or whatever, um, we'd like to see a fund basically there to specifically target those industries, and for you know, the next generation of startups rather than focusing like on the next food delivery app, for example, but to look at how we can promote um, the auto industry 2.0 so that we can export our technology around the world. So yeah. those
0: are the four things that we really need to target, I think. Okay, great. And now, putting your other hat on back as yeah. CEO of, of JetCharge, mm. you're developing a number of, of technologies around, um, you know, pay, one of the things with a with lot of the charging networks has kind yeah. of been, you know, a lot of them have started out um, as free, um, and it's kind of this thing of, well, how's payment systems going to work? And I, I think you're doing some work on this, aren't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. So um we, I mean, we do a number of things around charging, but one of the um divisions that we have is, I guess what you would call your hardware R&D department, and one of the first products to come out of that is a universal payment system. Um, from jet J-Charge perspective, we don't think it's necessarily going to be an issue rolling out charging infrastructure. We think that will happen, mm. um, and we think people will pay for it and you'll get them on the wall. I think the main problem is getting people to use it and learn how to use it properly
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and accessing it rather than just give up. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to mimic how people traditionally access um, roadside services like, you know, parking um, and stuff like that, vending machines, etc. So, So um, one of the biggest problems that we saw was a whole number of um, charging stations being installed but no universal system to kind of um, connect them all to a payment system. Mm. And so we partnered with the City of Adelaide as part of their EV charger rollout to kind of design a universal payment solution that will work with any charging station. Um, and that's what we've designed and created.
0: Well, that seems to be a great idea because you know, a lot of the things coming out of Europe, is, you know, you've know, you got a, a fob card for this one and that one and yeah. the other one, and a lot of people are saying, oh, we just want one system.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I think there is a role to play or like an overall, I would say, um, software provider in the back end, but at the same time, um, I think ease of payment, especially for the first or second time you use it, mm. is really important. Um, and the problem we face in the EV charging world is that every charging manufacturer themselves were either spruiking like a particular piece of software or they've got their own credit card payment terminals on the charging station. But let's just say you're installing, you know, a couple of charging stations from this manufacturer, then another couple of charging stations a year later from this other manufacturer, or then you went to Tritium for a DC charger. Mm. They might all come with different pieces of software or all different types of payment terminals. And, of course, the site hosts who have these things, like councils and shopping centres and retailers, they already have their existing relationships with back-end payment providers, you know, banks and payment terminals and, you know, point-of-sale devices So the last thing they want to do is to integrate some other payment system purely for electric vehicle charging, Mm. because obviously it's a tiny part of what they do, right? Mm. So what we thought was, well, why can't we take their existing payment solution um, that they use for, you know, shops and stuff like that, or council car parking, and just integrate that into a system to also be used with electric vehicle charging? So then you can have like a bank of 10 different charging stations all from different manufacturers, but tied together with the one payment provider, and something that they already use for other things. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, And that's kind of seen really great responses from around the world. Um, So we've just kind of come out of the, um, I guess, the trial stage and now entering into like a more commercial stage. And, um, yeah, we're seeing good response from around the world on the payment solution. So we'll see what happens. But this is the kind of stuff that I think there is a role to play, you know, that kind of what I would call boring but necessary (laughs) <laughs>
0: mm, absolutely. So, it's a lot of so boring that, but necessary things in the world that we need yeah, to do, is right.
1: Yeah, that's right. And um, that's kind of, I, I would say, that that's probably our motto in the office, which is to create boring but necessary products.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Certainly a catch cry. So, so, the relationship then with the City of, of Adelaide, mm. can you detail for us how, how, what that looks like, how that works?
1: Yeah, so um, the City of Adelaide put out a tender a few years ago on the rollout of charging infrastructure in Australia. Uh, sorry, in, Australia, ugh, in Adelaide,
0: mm-hmm.
1: across their car parks and also um, a few charging hubs here and there. We went in with a few partners. We supplied the hardware and the tech behind it, um, and through the software side of the business, which is called Chargebox, um, we basically operate the charging station so that if somebody wants to use it, um, they download the app and use the Chargebox app or they want to use the pay wave; they use their credit card, um, and if they have any problems, they call Chargebox, and um, Chargebox kind of answers their questions, essentially, and provides 24-7
0: support. Right.
1: Um, that's how it works, essentially.
0: Okay, so that's kind of, to, you know, like you're saying, ease that, you know, people into using the system, and if, if they've got an issue, they can get some help with it.
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Yeah, great. Okay, so how far along is that, then? Is that...
1: Um, uh, it's been in operation for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so City of Adelaide has close to 50 charging sessions mm-hmm. um, in the city, which actually makes it like one of the best mm-hmm. um, cities for EV charging deployment. And we're, we're very proud and honoured to be hosting that and kind of operating that.
0: Yeah, great. Okay, excellent. Well, look, Tim, we probably need to wind it up. Um, we've got a well, few other people to talk to today. Um, but, look, I really appreciate your time. And um, it, it's super important, uh, you know, with both that work you're doing there but also with the EV Council. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about what's happening there and that industry um, response because, you know, there are a lot of things happening um, and certainly, um, you know, we try to focus on a lot of positive things which are coming out of uh, certainly a lot of local and state government level um, around a whole lot of, whether it's renewable energy technologies or council-owned solar farms or things like that. So there is the appetite for, for moving forward in this direction. It's just, um, you yeah, know, keep on creating those um, necessary but boring things. I like that. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tim. Okay, to you. To talk. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. I'm very pleased to have on the line Greg McGarvey from ACE EV, and Greg is actually, um, you know, doing some amazing, important work and trying to re-establish a automotive industry in Australia um, around EVs. So, welcome, Greg.
3: Thanks, Erin. Pleased to be talking with you.
0: Now we we chatted a bit last year, and then I saw you again at the. Um, EV show in Brisbane a while back, but actually in Sydney, you actually had your first model on display. So, we did give listeners a bit of a description of what
3: that is. Yeah, well, what happened was that uh, vehicle, it's the urban little van um, with a big heart. It was it arrived before the Sydney launch uh, four weeks before in six boxes and flew an engineer in from Germany. And he only spoke German, so that was a bit of a difficulty. So we found a local mechatronics engineer that spoke English and German. And together, over six days, they put it, built it. And then on the seventh day, a little bit biblical, I guess, but on the seventh day, they drove it out of the workshop. And uh, then it went on to trailer pretty well straight away. Um, to, well, I had a week and then went down to Sydney. And there, Dr. John Hewson badged it. So it was the very first Australian-assembled, Um, EV brought in by Australian Clean Energy Group um, to be launched in Sydney. Oh, fantastic. And that prototype now has done done over 300 kilometres and um, running cost based on plugging it into a PowerPoint around $7. Yeah, wow. That's
0: what we need, isn't it? It is. So give us a bit of a uh, kind of a snapshot of... You started out and you are based in Queensland. True. Now, you're looking to move manufacturing and, and you've you've through some negotiations in South Australia. Can you just tell our listeners about Certainly. what that looks like? Yeah,
3: well, what happened was we tried very hard to get established in Queensland. And um, anyway, it turned out that the South Australian government uh, found a good manufacturing partner uh, in Wingfield. And... um you go where it's easier to go, and so we're moving down. The car's actually gone down. Then the prototype; it'll go into his showroom, and um, the rest of this year, we're just getting things set up to begin manufacturing next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And what sort of response have you had from, um, you know, from the public or Pretty potential good, fleet buyers? Or...
3: Yeah, a lot of interest. Oh. A lot of interest. We've actually uh, got five vehicles accounted for already and we haven't started um, selling. And we go online with reservations in August. Um, And the way it works is that basically anyone that wants to be part of uh, getting access to our first few vehicles need to subscribe on our website. And once they subscribe, they'll get notices and information about availability of vehicles and then the process is once the vehicles are um, reserved, you know whether you're number one or number ten in the list uh, for delivery. We go through the process of slowly paying the vehicle off until it arrives next year.
0: Okay, so for our listeners that um, you know aren't familiar, describe what what your initial vehicle what the characteristics like. of. yeah those.
3: no it's a it's a great little vehicle it's it's designed comes from Ernst Tomka. for some of you listeners, a lot of them will know about the smart car that runs around in Europe Mm -hmm. and the Swatch, so it's got some good design genetics. The clever thing about our vehicle is that it takes one-third the energy to put together. The other very clever thing about it is it's been designed as an EV from the ground up, and uh, it has what we call a skeleton, and that skeleton comprises at the moment 19 bones, and they're chemically welded together giving a cage structure that's two to three times stronger than the equivalent in steel. Then off that cage, we hang skins. And the beauty of that is that in in time, maybe five years' time, if you get a little bit sick of the look of your vehicle, you can change the skins. Our our goal is to make the most important part of the structure of the vehicle last for 10, 15 years or longer. And, And now you can still change the appearance of the vehicle and get the fashion changes that you might feel you need. Uh, without much of a drama.
0: Okay, so kind of built, you, you're trying to uh, go against that built-in redundancy that so many products have. True. Yeah.
3: Mm. Well, see, as you probably know, my background is marine biologist, and I'm looking at this as a as a real solution for uh, our next generation, create new career opportunities, and also just reduce the, the pressure on the environment by being a bit more sustainable.
0: Mm, exactly. So, the vehicle currently that you're looking at is a small van, is it with Yes, a yeah, good cargo.
3: We call it, call it the Ace Cargo. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's got a top speed of 110, carrying capacity of 750 kilo. Uh, it's got a range with a small battery of between 200 and 250 kilometres. And the beauty of it is that you take it home, like your mobile phone. We think it's more like a mobile phone on wheels. Take it home, plug it in and then uh, depending on how many kilometers you've done that day uh, it's ready next morning for you or in a few hours after you get home
0: yeah and so what um what charging technology have you got on there so obviously people can do the home charging but if people are out and about and want to do yes
3: um... yeah, if, if they need to use a you know a standard charge point which yep. luckily we're getting more and more around they just uh, the car comes with a CCS2 connector, right. which is pretty well the Australian standard.
0: Okay. And, I mean, our research at BZD shows that people, you know, on average um, do well less than 250 kilometres a day. Uh, I think our research showed it was, oh gosh, I'm just going from memory, but um, well all, under all, 50.
3: Oh, correct. Okay,
0: 33. 33, okay, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, you know, this this range anxiety is a bit of a furphy because for lots of people once they actually start using it, occasionally people do long journeys, but for, yeah. the, for the most time people usually do fairly predictable driving patterns. True, true. Um, and that's well yeah. within, within those ranges that you're talking about.
3: Yeah, well, there's, there's certain sectors interested in promoting the range anxiety and also the... Uh, Charging points. You know, a lot of people are of the mind that if you haven't got a charging point, you can't drive an EV around. Well, the news is, uh, all you need for a charging point is your power point at home.
0: Yeah, exactly. Spe-
3: specifically with our model, and also with a lot of other models. Mm. And where does your car spend most of its life? Sitting at home.
0: Yeah, that's right. Or at a workplace, and then a lot more employers yeah. will actually be bringing in, um, you know, at work charging as well. True. Listen, as you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and we're chatting to um, Greg McGarvey from ACE EV about um, the first model that they're bringing to market in Australia, which is, is um, there's some overseas expertise, but it's being uh, put together and, and um, launched in Australia. So what's the uh, – have we determined a um, price point yet for the yes, – yeah,
3: okay. Yeah, The price point depending how uh, people want to buy it we're sort of suggesting that you buy the car so it's the same as uh, a normal car when you buy your petrol car or your fossil fuel car you don't buy five years of fuel with it you buy the car and then you go out and fill it so what we're suggesting is you can buy our vehicle uh, and then lease the battery separately as if you're paying for your fuel uh, in advance and once you take the battery out of the car of course actual cost of the vehicle is equal to or um, in some cases cheaper than your fossil fuel cars.
0: Mm-hmm. And so is it only the, the, the first vehicle that you're taking reservations on or because what's the projected
3: rollout? The projected rollout we're looking at the first half next year for the cargo uh, which is a van then second half the ute which is well you know what a ute is and then, then the uh, last Last quarter or early 2020, the Urban, which is a little four-seater vehicle. Mm
0: -hmm. And these are all off the same kind of platform?
3: They have got the same skeleton, so it just makes common sense. You know, there's a few bones missing, of course. There's a difference between the bone structure for a cargo, the van and uh, a ute. But essentially, same skeleton and um, it's a very clever design. The battery pack sits underneath the vehicle. It can be dropped out in five minutes and it also gives you the utilities of battery technology changes. You just put in a, a new battery case. And the other thing that we're aiming for is, like Nissan Leaf, uh, you take your mobile phone on wheels home, and you, if it's got a full battery, you can run the house off it. Uh, at other times, if you need to, you can, and you've got a good relationship with one of your retailers, you can be selling power back into the grid. Mm. But that's down the track. That's not immediate.
0: Okay, yeah, and I mean that's really interesting though the whole um, vehicle to grid technology, um, where you can do that sort of thing, and I think we'll see more and more of that oh, coming.
3: And, and look, it just increases energy security so much when I mean, mm. no longer you sort of uh, if a power station breaks down, you've suddenly got your own power at home, and you can just keep walking along.
0: Well, and also I think there's the bigger picture with that when we when we get electric vehicles more on mass that effectively you've got a grid running around on wheels um, and, and you know if there's, a, if there's a peak demand and cars are plugged in you know they can be reversed for a while um, and, right. and put energy back in for a short period to cover that peaking period yeah. and then feed back in when we, when we you know the lower overnight kind of off peak period So
3: and here's a, here's a good one I heard and might be, the football followers might like this over in Europe uh, if you took your EV to the football, you plugged it in, and um, you had a free ticket to the game. Mm. They run the football stadium off to the cars. Of okay. course, they didn't. They, they organized it so the cars wouldn't get flat. You still had to get home. But uh, that's a pretty clever trick.
0: Mm, okay, Something, a bit of innovation there, um, so now you mentioned that you're partnering with a um, another organisation down in South Australia yes. because one of the things that you know, we've always seen with, with new models is that um, uh, well, with any of the EV models that there's generally a waiting list and, and when the demand comes in it's kind of that ramping up stage, so how are you looking to deal with those issues?
3: only supply what we can. We're we're preparing to ramp up to 15,000 units by about year 5, but essentially this year there's only 100 units available and next year we're looking at 600 and then just increasing after that. Uh, We do have options for expansion down in South Australia. We're very lucky we've got Mark Haig of uh, LDOM Automotive Assembly. Uh, It's a low risk Focus really, because he's got the factory in place, and he's also got some experienced people down there. And we just need to bring the vehicles in, assemble them, uh, test them, do the other things that needed to be done, and ship them out to customers.
0: Okay, and obviously, um, you know, there's a there's a long history of automobile. um Industry in South Australia, amongst other places. So, what, what was the the um, you know government and, um, reaction to to you? How, how does that come together?
3: It's, look, it's been pretty positive. We're waiting for um, stronger signals, but so far it's been very positive. And um, being so the, the the history behind the place does have an influence. Uh, we're starting to get interest from previous supply chain people that supplied to the uh, old auto industry. But you've got to sort of keep in mind that this particular vehicle and what we're doing is totally different. It's uh, comparing our vehicle to a fossil fuel vehicle is like comparing a horse and cart in the early T4. You know, it's just so much difference. Mm. It's really, uh, ours is a business on wheels. Uh, It's got IOT, down the track, it'll have artificial intelligence. and all the data management that makes it just a, a, as handy or more handier than a mobile phone. Mm.
0: Okay all right Also, so if people are interested in finding out more about the vehicle is the website the best place to go to?
3: The website's the best place to go to and apologies it's just about to be upgraded so it's going to look a bit better and have a little bit more function but we're just going to take a step at a time. It's not easy here in Australia doing this sort of thing.
0: So, did you want to just give people that website and what? I they... can.
3: Very easy. It's www.ace A-C-E for Australian Clean Energy, hyphen ev for electric vehicle. Dot com. Dot au.
0: Excellent. And so they can look at all the different models and and um, follow that yes. um, that order
3: process. Yes. And, and, okay. and, and if they if they're on the website, and they subscribe. It will automatically get mail out and information. First, in fact, the first five vehicles that went um, uh, went through the subscription network.
0: Right. Okay. And so, so those are already locked in. The first five have already. Um... First of
3: guys Yes. If anyone's hunting for vehicle number one, they're out of luck. <laughs> uh, next one available will be number six.
0: Okay. Great. All right. Well, look, it's really exciting to um, to see something happening in Australia locally because. Um, we know that uh, certainly there is demand. I mean, all the um, research shows that people are interested in going to EV, um, but uh, there's a whole lot of much bigger markets, and, and whilst the, you know, we don't have the same sort of pollution control legislation that they have in Europe, then the big manufacturers um, are going to feed into those markets that, that they do. So it's great to see some homegrown products.
3: You know, Aaron, the real key to this is that the vehicle is just so inexpensive to operate. Mm. You own know, it frees up anything up to sixty dollars a week in the home budget uh, because you haven't got services, uh, you haven't got all the normal costs that you have with a fossil fuel vehicle. It's just so simple and easy to own. It's great fun to drive, and the beauty of it is that um, you can sit in it with the air conditioning on and you don't have to have the motor running.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, well, in Australia's hot summers, that's certainly um, a good thing too. Um, but um, and, and look, at you know, it's an important point that you bring up. That is certainly an easier conversation with, say, a fleet buyer as opposed to an individual. But if we look at total cost of ownership, um, you know, EVs stand stand up today. Um, you know, they've been standing up for quite a while. If we look at that, but um, unfortunately. For the individual consumer, that's maybe a more complicated, um, not complicated, well, but... No, 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 we're, we're,
3: we're simplifying it a bit. So uh, everyone owns a mobile phone. They know the process of buying a mobile phone and owning it. Well, effectively, with our vehicle, we're calling it a mobile phone on wheels because you'll own it the same way. It'll be as easy to buy as a mobile phone. And instead of a, a, a communications package, you'll just get an energy package with it.
0: Okay. Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show and today we're focusing on EV uptake in Australia in light of um, I recently visited the UK and went to the Fully Charged Live show which was a um, big EV conference with um, most of the major manufacturers and three days of of talks and panels And, and one of the things that was quite heavily discussed, particularly in one of the panels, was the importance of fleet uptake of EVs and the flow-on effect that had um, to the broader market and maybe a more sensible place to um, place incentives. So I was really pleased when I came back and saw that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation um, had run an um, EV introduction day, particularly aimed at fleet managers. And we've got Richard Lovell on the line, who's an executive director of the investment team at the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. So welcome, Richard.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, what the uh, EV day was, uh, how that was conceived and came about, and what the response was from fleet managers?
2: Yeah, sure, so as you mentioned, um, we we recently held an EV Drive Day uh, out at Eastern Creek in Sydney. That in fact was the second Drive Day which the EFC had um, sponsored. Uh, The first was held in Melbourne um, around six months ago. Um, The the objective of the EV Drive Day was really to, as you referenced in your opening, to try and um, do what we can to support fleet buyers in particular, consider the questions they need to get answered in order to increase their uptake of electric vehicles. It wasn't, um, you know, it's not sort of exclusively restricted to fleet buyers. we had participants from obviously the OEMs, so the vehicle manufacturers, uh, and a number of other financial intermediaries and fleet, um, so fleet operators and fleet users all there. Um, but the purpose was just to try and give um, fleet buyers and fleet managers a chance to um, get in the car's get a sense of what they, how they drive and how they might be useful for their uh, end customers being you know, employees and so on, um, and, and give um, a chance to exchange information. We had a couple of case studies presented from some of the early adopters of electric vehicles uh, just to try and, you know, demystify some of the issues and identify some of the key considerations that need to be taken into account for fleet buyers in particular.
0: Okay, and what were the main... I mean... Was this what was their perception? Was this the first time they've kind of you know got up close and touched, or is it kind of something they're going down that road of thought anyway? What was or was there a bit of a cross section?
2: Yeah, there was a cross section. So there were some who already had fleets, um, albeit generally quite small. There aren't any really large fleets of EV yet to speak of. Um, there were some who had who didn't have any electric vehicles in their fleet, but were considering it. Uh, you know, I don't think there were too many that didn't have any and weren't considering it because they probably would have been um, elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, there was quite a cross section, um, and so again, that offered the chance to some of the fleet buyers who who had that experience. In fact, to share some of the learnings about things that had been um, that have been needed to, uh, to overcome the initial introduction, um, and, and really give those who were considering it, a chance to experience how the cars perform um, and, and just to hear from some of those early adopters.
0: Yeah, and was there kind of a um, pleasant surprise or what were some of the, the flavours that came out from that? Because generally, you know, people um, who might be a bit sceptical after driving an EV are, are kind of, um, you know, the, 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 they're pretty um, you know, good cars to drive generally. So what was yeah. people's take on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it it was, it was pretty much along those lines. Or there was, you know, we were coming from a reasonably, um, high base in terms of people wanting to engage. But, Mm. um, yeah, they're great cars to drive. People had, um, good experiences. It was a great format. We were able to have people in cars, you know, around 20 or so vehicles. And we were able to have people in those vehicles going around the track, um, pretty much all day, which was, apart from a lunch break, which was, which was great. Um, the, the key statistic, and so we, we, we ran a survey of people who attended, it was aimed at the fleet buyers, but we ran a survey of those who attended to, to get a bit of a sense of how they, um, how they felt that that had gone. And, and the key statistic which came out of that for us was whether or not people felt they were more or likely or, or, or less likely. Um, to include EVs as a result of the event. And 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 4%, uh, sorry, I should say 22% of, of people said that they were no more likely or less likely to buy. Hopefully they were the ones who were already going to buy them. Um, but, um, you know, 78-odd percent of, of attendees said they were more likely to buy electric vehicles or include them in the fleet as a result of the event. So that, that type of engagement is really important. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the other pieces, just to try and make... All of those participants, advocates out there in the broader fleet market, in particular for EVs, to try and uh, you know get a bit of extra momentum out of that as well.
0: Yeah, and I mean you know a lot of the um, you know previous uh, work and interviews I've done around EVs, one of the, the key messages that comes out is that total cost of ownership, and certainly from a fleet buying perspective, um, they can generally take that longer view as opposed to say a um, you know a, a personal consumer. So what, what was, you know, was that pointed out? Have you was it had many case studies looking at total cost of ownership and, and um, do they see benefits from a fleet perspective when they're looking at EVs?
2: Yeah, it's a fascinating question. It, 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 do, it is quite um, dependent on the use case of the vehicle because there are a number of factors that come into play apart from the technology themselves. So, for example, vehicles which are subject to GST have, you know, a bit of an unfortunate um, multiplier effect of, of the higher upfront capital cost of the electric vehicle because the fringe benefits tax is calculated on, on the list price. Um, and so there is a bit of a bias, you know, I think potentially for fleet buyers to look at vehicles that are used on a pool basis which are not subject to FPT, um to try and overcome that barrier. Um, others have got different usage patterns according to how frequently and how far the cars are driven. And, and there's different... Um, you know, ways of looking at the question depending on your anticipated use. And there are some great tools out there in the marketplace, including some sponsored by um, ARENA. So there was, there was an organisation called EV Energy who um, provide an analysis of that type of tool uh, or provide a tool for that kind of, kind of analysis. Um, so the total cost of use, yeah, I mean, there's obviously the gains from the fuel that you don't have to buy and the avoided cost of that. Um, you have to obviously pay for the electricity and different people. And there's questions around the, the appropriate tenor for the financing um, of vehicles. There are also some assumptions around residual value which need to be worked on and that's one of the other key areas that we are thinking about um, to try and help the market along because residual value clearly affects materially the total cost of ownership um, if, you, if you're leasing the vehicle. Mm.
0: There's
2: a few different situations and a few different
0: Certainly, um, you know, in a UK, Europe context, the discussions there were around that, you know, there'd actually been some upward pressure on residual values um, and, you know, potentially that that was kind of a pleasant surprise for some people that were coming out of leases. And it's a lot more mature market in terms of, of um, leasing and, and seemingly a lot more of a common practice um, for Either individuals, but um, also also fleet buyers as well, um, and around, um, but certainly around those res- residual values being higher um, than people were expecting necessarily. But, but servicing costs for EVs, um, you know, certainly for some of those fleet buyers, you'd think that would be a fairly significant impact in the lesser cost of, of servicing.
2: It, it is actually, so there's a few different aspects, so lower fuel costs um, are certainly a factor. Um, reduced maintenance is certainly a factor, um, keeping in mind that some fleet buyers take a very, um, you know, very, very enthusiastic approach to, to maintenance, um, you know, with, with all sets of vehicles because they want to protect their residual value. Uh, but certainly reduced maintenance is, is a um, definite benefit uh, for electric vehicles. The real question at the end of the day is the extent to which those benefits outweigh um, what is generally a higher upfront capital cost for an equivalent internal for an equivalent you know, compared to an equivalent internal combustion engine vehicle. And at the moment, there is still a price differential upfront. Mm. Um, it, it's quite dependent on which model you're looking at um, as to you know what the relevant comparison is, but. Um, we are very keen that people understand that total cost of ownership calculation, including the maintenance so that they can make an informed choice and try and you know push for EVs um, wherever it's um, you know close to close to being economically possible.
0: yeah and um, you know there was quite a lively discussion about the value that government and particularly the UK had put in um, to supporting individual owners to buy um, or to transition to EVs, but whether or not that, that money may have been better placed, um, looking at fleet and, um, you know, public transport, taxis, etc., um, to transition to EV, thinking that those vehicles actually contributed more because they had, you know, higher mileage generally and high, higher use levels. Um, So from your perspective from Clean Energy Finance Corporation, um, obviously this is something that you're looking at. What other kind of strategies, and I know there's some um, research that came out last year um, around EV uptake, but can you just paint a picture for our listeners briefly uh, what direction you think things are going in and how that can be supported?
2: Yeah, we see um, electric vehicles reaching... Or rather, we we see reports in the market from from well-credentialed um, you know outfits that indicate price parity will be achieved between electric vehicles and internal combustion engine vehicles, you know, depending on the market and size of vehicle and so forth, um, somewhere around the mid twenty twenties. So if you accept that um, as a starting point,
0: well, it's actually not market, that far away.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, And the role for us, therefore, is to try and um, accelerate that transition in a a sensible way, um, and to to do it strategically. So we do see fleets as being important because one of the things which we face in Australia um, is availability of vehicles and persuading OEMs to commit, you know, finite global manufacturing capacity the Australian market when when, when a number of offshore markets are offering quite significant rebates and other incentive schemes. So that is one of the key considerations and fleets are important because they can anchor reasonably large purchase volumes which can offer incentive for OEMs to try and allocate that finite capacity to the Australian market. So we we have provided and continue to provide a number of um, programs where electric vehicles um, uh, attract cheaper rates of financing um, compared to other vehicles and do that through both retail and fleet buyer programs uh, and we are continuing to try and look at ways to expand those and make them more effective. We are looking at the questions of whether or not we need to um, try and work on you know the residual value issue to, to, to offer some Short term solutions to what should hopefully be solved by the market as we achieve price parity. Uh, and we are looking at ancillary investment requirements associated with things like charging infrastructure to try and, um, uh, you know, make it more compelling for both retail and fleet buyers to take up EVs. Um, those all have their um, separate challenges, but those are the key things that we're focused on at the moment. Uh, and, and, and we do see, um, you know strong opportunities for us to do things to try and assist that transition
3: and work with fleet buyers, a number of whom want to be on the leading edge of this transition.
2: Um, so we really just need to try and um, work out the best way to 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 ensure that the CFC can assist with that that transition
0: yeah, great. Um, well look, we'll probably need to wrap it up Richard because I know that um, uh, you've certainly got other things you need to do and I've got to try to make sure we get all in, uh, finished up in the hour that we've got um, So look, I really appreciate your uh, coming on the show at short notice today and um, I think it's really important that um, Clean Energy Finance Corporation is supporting these type of initiatives and um, getting more people in EVs and to experience what that's all about Thanks, Richard. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that focus today on electric vehicles. Um, We'll be talking a bit more about this and and, um, also some interviews that I did whilst I was at that event in the UK.